0: Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, and this is our 50th episode so we're doing something different. Today's guest is me. I've handed the interviewer chair over to former guest and friend Chris Cayella, creator of Dirt, an audio drama. Chris will ask me questions about this show, my audio drama, The Book of Constellations, and pose questions submitted by some other former guests. So today, we're discussing the first episode of The Book of Constellations. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. Set in modern USA, it follows Rael, a man who claims to be the sole survivor of an alien race, who has come to Earth to save humanity from the same darkness that destroyed his people. Along the way, he makes allies in the lost and forgotten of America, including Simon, a man suffering from bone cancer, who goes with him and narrates the story. The first episode, Coffee is a Metaphor, tells of how Simon's attempt at suicide is interrupted by Rael, who convinces Simon to go with him on his quest. I was getting over a cold when we recorded this, so apologies in advance for my
1: voice quality. Chris and I spoke remotely. Hi, everybody. This is Chris from Dirt, an audio drama. And right off the bat, I'd like to thank Keith, or should I call you W? Like... <laughs> Does anyone call you just W? Like when you were got in trouble as a kid, was it W Keith Timms? You get in here. (laughs) No, the story behind that is that's what I
0: use professionally to sort of distinguish myself. My first name is William, but I go by my middle name. And so what would happen is I would always get called William because everyone is used to calling everyone by their first name. I got tired of always being called that. So I started adopting this W. Keith Timms as my signature and as my formal way to be addressed. That way people know that William is my first name. They see the W, but then I go by Keith and it just sort of stuck.
1: I think it's great. You know, initials do add a touch of distinction, you know, J.D. Salinger and whatnot. So (laughs) Keith, I do want to thank you for giving me the interviewer chair for what is truly a milestone occasion. The 50th episode of the first episode of it's amazing to me honestly when i
0: started off i just thought "Ah, i'll do this every once in a while and and see what happens and just kind of take it easy and it ended up being a weekly show and now it's been almost a year since i launched
1: i'm quite surprised about the life that it took on and very happy about that well i know if we had a live studio audience which maybe we should have brought some uh some people (laughs) in for that i can get a laugh track going or something there you go (laughs) I know there'd be a lot of clapping and cheering right now. So I just want to say congratulations on getting here. It truly is a, a huge milestone. Thank you. And I have to imagine that it's been a ton of work for you, starting back in September of 2021, is when your first episode was launched, preparing for each episode, producing the 49 episodes that preceded this one. You set a pretty ambitious production schedule for yourself. If you were to start all over again, Would you go at it with the same breakneck pace or space the episodes out a little more? This is something I still am debating because it does take a lot of time, not just
0: the prep time in terms of listening to audio dramas, coming through applications and doing my homework and research. But the editing, of course, takes a ton of time. I I put a lot of effort into editing the show to clean it up and make it sound crisp and make sure it flows well. Honestly, this takes up at least a third of my productivity time for the week. And so that's a lot, especially when I have other projects that I'm looking at. But on the other hand, first of all, I really like talking to people about their artistic process. Mm -hmm. I like hearing other perspectives, other points of view. I still consider myself to be somewhat of a newbie in this field, even though I've been doing this for the past year or so. I'm still learning myself. Having the show is a great way for me to pick up on new information, new techniques, or just different perspectives. It's also been a great way for me to meet people and network and find out who's who and what people are doing. And so, on the one hand, it is a lot of work. On the other hand, I'm really grateful that I've had a chance to meet with so many different people and learn a lot from the time that I've spent. Maybe I'd go back and maybe I'd do it every two weeks, or maybe one day I'll be able to afford to offload the editing to someone else and pay them
1: for that. That's a dream scenario for all of us, right? I think you're
0: right. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Just in case any listeners are tuning in for the first time, let's go through a quick summary of all of your audio drama accomplishments. So you are, of course, the creative force behind this show in which you interview fiction podcast creators about everything from their backgrounds in the arts, their processes, their motivations, and all sorts of other things. But you're also the creator of your own audio drama series titled The Book of Constellations, which I noticed also launched almost exactly one year ago in August, 2021. So happy launch anniversary! Thank you very much.
0: I was working in academia for about 20 years and I was doing theater and film classes and I was working with students and after a while I got burned out. This actually coincided with COVID hitting the campuses and shutting everything down. I decided I needed to change. I needed to do something else. I'd always wanted to be a professional writer and I thought, well, I'm in a position that I can afford to take a few years and see if I can make this work. And so I wrote a novel and I was shopping and around, wasn't getting too many bites. And I was sort of bemoaning this fact to a friend of mine. And he said, you should do a podcast. And Hmm. I was like, I don't know. I I can't figure out what would I do. But then I started really doing the research on it. My friend and I talked a little bit more about this. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I could. I've got the skills, I think. I feel pretty good about my writing. I feel pretty good about my voice acting. I don't know anything about sound production, but I can watch a ton of YouTube videos. Why don't I give it a shot? And so that's when I decided to write the Book of Constellations. And I wrote that specifically knowing it was going to be my first audio drama, that it was going to be just me doing it. Mm -hmm. I wrote it in such a way because I knew that's what I could produce. I couldn't afford to hire actors. I was still figuring things out. And so I wrote it specifically with the idea that I'm going to be doing this by myself. So let's write a story that fits that
1: mold. I think it's absolutely a great audio drama. It's one of my personal favorites. I want to mention that it was recently chosen as an official selection for the 2022 Minnesota Web Fest. It is. That has to feel good for all the time and effort that you put into it. What does being selected for an event like that do for your confidence as an artist? I think maybe you and I talked about this, um, the whole imposter syndrome thing, right? Mm, Yeah. I, I get
0: great reviews from people. I have lovely comments from listeners from time to time and those always feel great, but there's always a part of me that's kind of like, yeah, but are you doing all you can? Or is this really living up to its full potential or you could be doing something better? This is kind of the trap with people who have anxiety or imposter syndrome. You feel good about the nice comments, but then there's always something else. Getting accepted as an official selection to the Minnesota webcast is fantastic. I'm very happy about that. On one hand, that tells me that's sort of one piece of evidence that says that, hey, I'm doing something that at least some people like, and that's good. But also, I know that the way my brain works, there's always going to be something else. There's always going to be something more. And that's something that I struggle with. I think I'm getting better at it. When Book of Constellations launched, I would check the numbers, like not just daily, but like <laughs> you know, every hour. Right. (laughs) Just trying to to get a sense of, am I doing it? more downloads? Yeah. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. And I'm very happy to say that, and I think my therapist would be very happy to hear that there are days now that I I don't even look at the downloads. So I, I think it's a process. Ultimately, I think it's important for me that my art reaches people and that they connect and they like it in some ways. And I know that not all art is for everyone, and I accept that. So I guess getting an award or getting a nice review or anything like that. It's just more evidence to say that, hey, at least I'm doing something that some people like. And I think that can be satisfaction.
1: Yeah. And and I think that there's a little bit of the beauty of the medium is that with podcasting, we can just get our work out there. We don't have to pass the test of an agent or an editor Mm. or a publisher. The grassroots nature of being able to just get something out in the world is just very freeing. That was the argument
0: my friend who taught me into doing podcasts made for me. He said, you know, you just want to get some feedback. You just want to put something out there and then you'll see. Writing in Book of Constellations and producing it opened up a new avenue for me and it gave me some opportunity to to share. And And as you said, there were not a lot of barriers in the way. I'm getting a better sense of creative purpose and focus. So I'm happy with that. And, and I want to thank my friend, Alan, who
1: talked me into it. Thanks, Alan, from all of us. <laughs> Lastly, in terms of the shows that you're affiliated with, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention that you have another show coming out soon later this year, I believe, called The Love Talker, and this one is a collaboration with M. T. Goines, who is the creator of another audio drama that I know you and I both admire, called Delivery. If you could just talk a little bit about how that partnership came about, Delivery is a horror podcast that I came across
0: and I, I listened to it, and I was immediately sucked in. It's one of those stories that it's hard to pin down the plot because it weaves itself through several different episodes, but it's really very heavy on mood. I was impressed with MT's sound design. I was impressed with his writing, which can be very poetic. I think I left a review for him, and he liked that. And then he, in turn, listened to Book of Constellations, and he liked that, and he left a review for me. And eventually we kind of said, well, hey, maybe we should work together. We started pitching ideas to one another. We definitely wanted to do a horror piece. I'm more of a sci-fi guy, but I've always been interested in horror, and it was a chance for me to do something a little different. The Love Talker is a folk horror drama set in Appalachia. It borrows heavily from Irish myth and Appalachian folklore, but it's about a little town up in the mountains there where women have been going missing for centuries. Another woman comes to visit the area and she discovers the truth about these disappearances and a strange, handsome man who wanders the woods and his connection to the whole thing. Mm. I'm doing primarily the writing and directing and MT is doing primarily the composition and the engineering, but it's a very collaborative process. It's new territory for me, but I'm pretty
1: excited about it. The combination of both of your talents that are evident in your shows, I'm really excited to hear the end result of that. So, um, looking forward to that. And for anyone who wants to follow progress on the Love Talker, what is the best way for them to do that?
0: I would say right now, go to our website, thelovetalker.com, and sign up for our newsletter. There's a link on the web page. I do monthly newsletters, which updates people on all my projects. You can
1: also follow us on Twitter, Love Talker Pod. I'd love to find out what a day in the life of W. Keith Timms is. As everyone just heard, you have your hands in quite a few cookie jars and uh, it isn't just making content, it's marketing content and even nurturing a community on Discord. So on a typical working day, what all do you do? So usually early in the week is when I try to do my editing
0: and production for the first episode of. If I'm hitting on all cylinders and the editing is not terribly onerous, I can usually knock that out in a couple of days. Then usually the other part of the week is when I'm doing my writing or rewriting and marketing gets mixed into all of that, creating new material to promote book of constellations or first episode of getting on social media and trying to engage when I can. The writing itself is, I don't know how it is for you, Chris, but for me, there's this incubation period that happens. I know that writing is coming, but it's not quite there yet. It has to be born. Yeah. And so it sits in my head and it kind of simmers and it percolates. And then usually when it comes time to write, then I'll sit down and it'll start coming out faster and faster, sort of like this momentum kicks in. So a lot of the time that I'm spending during the week is also thoughtful time where I'm doing research on the shows, you know, I'm studying over ideas. I'm also teaching myself music composition, but I think all of that artistic work goes into the incubation time for my creative endeavors. And then I try to write as much as I can. In the middle of that, I have a family. My son just started high school. I'm spending time with him and my family and doing all those other kinds of things as well.
1: I think maybe gone are the days when we could all just sort of like go away and lock ourselves up in a room or a cabin. Lucky are those people who get to do that. Truly finding a way to settle in to that mode while 20 other things are going on at the same time is a learned talent.
0: I'm still learning it too. You know, when I first started, I knew how to be an academic, but I didn't know how to be a writer. I actually had to train my brain to like, Get into this mode to write. You know, it would be so easy to get distracted, not from a lack of will, but just because my brain didn't know what to do. I did all these tricks. You know, I made a special area just for writing. There's a lamp on the table there that I turn on when I'm about to write. And that becomes like this cue for my brain. Oh, it's time to write where I could sustain my attention for writing at the beginning for maybe an hour if I really pushed it. Now I'm able to do several hours at a time. It's still something that requires effort and clearing a path in your head to allow this to happen. And it's a challenge. When people find out that I knew him, a lot of them want to know what he really looked like. That is, of course, they want to know if he was blue. Was he really, you know? (laughs) So let me set the record straight. There was always something a little off about him. Like he never seemed that comfortable in his own body. Like it was something he was wearing that didn't fit him well, but he wasn't all that worried about it. In fact, he spent so much time in his head that it's a wonder he paid attention to his body at all. I hardly ever saw him eat or drink, or sleep for that matter. He would bathe, but really only when he saw other people doing it like it was a reminder to him of something that he should do. His body was an afterthought, I guess, which makes sense considering, uh, well, that's the debate,
1: right? Let's talk about the first episode of the Book of Constellations for a moment. The first episode is titled Coffee is a Metaphor, and I think most of your listeners would say that that episode and really the whole series is a metaphor for many things that are happening in our world today. Of all the stories you could have told, I'm curious what made you want to tell Rayel's story at this particular time. I started thinking of the Book of Constellations almost two years ago,
0: a year and a half ago, two years ago. We were still in the thick of the difficult times in America, the division that had come in the wake of Trump's election. I was feeling particularly frustrated I had actually had to sort of swear off social media because it was causing me anxiety. Hmm. I was really troubled by the fact that we had seemed to polarize into two camps, that we had turned into these tribes and that no one was really willing to listen to each other and that political discourse had turned into a sports event. And in the meantime, there were still very real problems and there were still very real things happening in the world. People were getting hurt. People were getting neglected. There were things going on in the news at the time, and they're still going on, that Profoundly disturbed me about cruelty to people and suffering and misery. I felt pretty useless. I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. I mean, I could get on social media and I could yell at the world, but who's going to listen? The only people that social media tends to match you up with are people who already agree with you. I just felt very helpless. So as I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that, gosh, if only we had, I don't know, a superhero to come along that has the power to change things. And of course, that is a fantasy. It's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. We are not going to have some sort of supernatural being come down and fix things for us. But I started thinking about what if there was. And then I started thinking about, well, I don't want a superhero who's going to use the tools of violence and authoritarian ideals to to solve these things. I want to cut to the heart of humanity itself Mm. and what I think are the real solutions to our problem, which is just empathy. If I had to distill the message of Book of Constellations down to one thing, it's just you've got to have empathy if we're going to solve these problems. And so that was when I started thinking about these great stories of the so called alien messiah, which have popped up through film and television and novels through the years, like Starman or E.T. or The Man Who Fell to Earth. This seems like a really interesting way for me to tell the story. I wanted someone who was an outsider who could look at our troubled times with new eyes and say hey i see some problems here don't you see them and of course we can't because we're in the middle of them and so that was where rael came from this idea of a figure who does not see things the way that we do and so he can point out where the problems are and then tries to solve the problems without violence at all and instead relies purely on radical empathy as the means to solving the evils in the world why are you sick i told you because i have cancer Yes, but there are treatments. Surgery, chemotherapy, radiation therapy. He knows about cancer treatments all of a sudden, but he's never had coffee. Well, I couldn't afford all that when there was a chance they would do any good. He says, the caretakers, they will not heal you without money. That's the way the world works, isn't it? I think most of the doctors and nurses and such want to make people better, but everything is so expensive at the hospital's. Health insurance can help, but you gotta have a full time job to get anything decent. If I had bought insurance myself, it wouldn't have left me anything to live on. You get bad sick, you go into debt for the rest of your life, unless you're rich. He thinks about this for a long moment, and then he says, Why do your leaders hate sick people? I don't have an answer for him, really, so I shrug my shoulders. He then folds his hands into his lap, nodding to himself.
1: It is the darkness. There's a real mood to the Book of Constellations. And I'm not talking about a political mood, just an experience of listening to it. And I want to first be sure to give credit to the range that you achieve in your tone of voice. But complementing your voice is your choice of music. Now, if you could tell us just a little bit about your music choices... And how you think music should or shouldn't add to a particular moment in a story.
0: Let me tell you a story first. This is a moment from my childhood that I think impacts me in ways that I didn't even remember. And it just sort of came out when I was writing this. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. I was the only child. My mother and father were both devotees of the arts, and Charleston's a big arts town. So as a child, we would often go to the symphony or to the opera. We'd drive into town, we'd go see it, and we'd drive back. I would be laying down in the back seat or just resting. And this was usually like on a Saturday night. And on Saturday nights, the local public radio station would play music from the hearts of space, which is electronic space music. Love that show. Yeah. I just remember as a kid, just looking out of the back window of my parents' cars, we're driving home in in silence while they had hearts of space playing on the radio and looking up at the stars as they went past in the night sky and this sort of very moody ethereal music playing through the whole thing. And I think that just sort of locked in my head as a mood that I really dig. And I think that came through in Book of Constellations. I wanted the audience to sort of sink into the story, to feel like they are drawn in and floating there in the midst of it. You know, on live theater or in in film, so much of mood is created with light, light and color. But we don't have that in audio drama. Sound and music becomes the light and color that audio drama uses to create mood and emotion. Why do you wish to end your life? I'm not prepared for that question, so I say, look, it's, uh, it's complicated and personal. Can you just leave me alone, please? He takes five slow, long steps into the barn, his toes sinking into the dirt, until he is close, watching me through those dark lenses. Why, he repeats. I can't tell you how strange it feels, me sitting on the ground, holding my impotent shotgun. Him just standing over me, nearly completely invisible in the dark of the barn. He is without alarm, or sadness, or embarrassment on my behalf. Maybe that's what makes me answer him honestly. Because I have cancer, and there's nothing but pain left for me. He crouches down to my eye level. The starlight through the holes in the roof reflecting off his lenses. That's why you have to live,
1: because you understand the pain. All right. So let's finally dive into some of the questions that were sent to me by some of your fans. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Okay. I'm ready. I I have not heard any of these ahead of time, so that's ought to be good. Keeping with the book of constellations theme. Ian Knowles, who produces the fine fiction podcast Neon Shadows, that's a great show. Notes that pivotal scenes in the show revolve around LGBTQ plus issues that mirror struggles in today's world. So Ian wants to know how do you write from a place that isn't divisive, but from a perspective of love that can help people heal or even lead the ignorant on an optimistic path such as the one that your main character seems to be experiencing.
0: You know, I don't know that I have
1: the complete answer to
0: that question. Coming from a perspective as a straight white guy, I don't think I can tell a complete story about an LGBTQ plus person from a position of knowing what that's like. But I can empathize with the struggle and I can ally myself with the people who are suffering. For me, the Book of Constellations takes its title from the fifth episode, where the character Satya is talking with Raël, and they're talking about the stars and the constellations. And Raël points out that there are no lines in the sky, that there are stars, but we're the ones that drew the lines. And you can draw the lines however you want. But the problem is that people tend to look at the constellations and assume that that's the shape of things. That's the way the world has to be when we've invented those constructs ourselves. I think what I'm trying to do when I raise these issues, and not just the social issues about LGBTQ plus folks, but all the issues, is for us to say, we act the way we do because we assume that things are a certain way. But what if they aren't that way at all? It's about trying to hopefully coax people to look with new eyes at problems and then make those decisions to maybe change their perspectives a different way. I don't know how successful I can be that way. I try. I don't know that I've changed anyone's minds. But hopefully, it's the conversation that can lead to things. You're not going to win any converts from the bigots by yelling at them in their faces. I think the only thing you can do is treat them with empathy as well and try to sow some seeds of doubt and point in a certain direction. And hopefully, they'll get there on their own. A lot of the decisions and a lot of the points of view that we have are emotionally based. You can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. People have to come to those
1: conclusions themselves. Storytelling is a unique device where people can be in someone else's shoes and learn through an experience versus being preached to about a certain point of view. I have not suffered as many trans kids have
0: like Satya from the story because I'm not trans, but I did get picked on and bullied a lot when I was a kid for being the weird artsy kid. It's not the same, but it is a point of reference. And I hope that I can shed some light on this particular kind of issue. When I was writing Book of Constellations, trans issues were very much on the headlines at that particular time. I mean, they still are. I just felt like we had to stop and say, wait a minute, we're hurting people. Can we maybe think about this a different way?
1: That's a good segue into the next question. And this is also about the Book of Constellations. And it comes from It Me, who produces the Inco podcast. It Me wants to know, is the Book of Constellations the story that you intended to write when you got started? Or did the story go in unexpected directions?
0: It Me is amazing because they do this amazing show all by themselves. Like like I do too, right? The Book of Constellations was just me. But it me has been putting out Inco for so long, and they do all the voices. I'm just always impressed. The way I approach storytelling is I try to get an overall structure map out in my head. So I have a general idea about where we start. I have a general idea about how it's going to end. And then I have a few significant plot points in between that I've mapped out. And then the rest is really unknown territory. And a lot of that gets uncovered as I'm writing, and sometimes it does surprise me. One of my favorite episodes that I've written is When Did We Become the Enemy? It's sort of in the middle of the show where Raelle and the group go to a library to try to find some information they need. They encounter some local militia types that are blockading the library, and the library ends up being burned down at the end. I had no intention of ever writing that story. I'd gotten through the entire script once. And then I went back and I realized I need something here in the middle to connect the beginning of the story to the end. I sat down and started writing that. I thought about a library and then I thought about library issues and then I thought about critical thinking. And this particular story kind of manifests itself into that particular moment. And that was completely unplanned. And I'm actually really happy with that episode. And it's one of my
1: favorites. I have a similar experience in that I sort of have the bullet points and the start and the finish. Everything in between just becomes what happens in the moment. Those are some of the Most satisfying parts of writing is when something unexpected happens. And it's like, did that just come from my fingers, you know, on the (laughs) keyboard? Like, you know, how did that happen? Or where did that come from? And it's really one of the small joys of doing what we do. All right, we're going to switch gears back to the first episode of with the next question. This comes from Andy Thierfelder, who is the creative force behind Tapes from Beyond. So Andy wants to know. Has your relationship with audio drama changed because of your work on the first episode of both positively and negatively?
0: And he's a great guy. I really enjoyed that interview. Tapes from Beyond is one of my favorites. I find it difficult being a podcaster and a writer to actually listen to audio dramas because... A lot of people who listen to podcasts and audio dramas are able to do so like in the car or when they're working or they just, you know, they have them on the background or they have it on their headphones, but I can't do that. My attention gets divided and I can't concentrate on writing or editing and listening at the same time. So it becomes difficult sometimes for me to do all the audio drama listening that I want to do. I have learned a lot from doing the first episode of about technique and about possibilities and about the way people work. Because I knew nothing going in except my own path. Like, I figured out how to do it for me. But hearing how other people do it gives me ideas about different ways of producing it. I've had lots of people on the show, and some of them are people in their basement doing this for fun. And some people are moderately sized studios who are doing this professionally, trying to make a profit. What I find is that everyone has an interesting artistic point of view. And I really respond to that, and I love hearing
1: that continuing with the first episode of theme the next question is from Sean Patrick Bridges who produces the thriller Triple Six Sean is wondering how you go about picking the podcasts and people that you interview for the first episode of
0: that's a great question triple uh, six is a really fun thriller that that's a that was a fun interview too what I'm really looking for number one people who are doing interesting or Innovative things in the audio drama space, people who are taking the medium in different directions or are doing unusual things with it, or maybe taking a familiar path, but doing something new with that path. I'm also looking for people who have an interesting perspective to lend to the stories that they're telling. These are people who are typically outside of my own perspective, people who have unique experiences or maybe voices that don't get heard as often as they ought to be heard in mainstream media. Then I also like to support those shows that are also supportive of the indie audio drama community. Mm -hmm. So I, I always give a little extra attention to shows that are in the community,
1: supporting others and trying to be a part of what we're doing here collectively. And related to that somewhat, another question by Alex Kingsley, who produces The Stench of Adventure. Alex wants to know what surprises you the most during your first episode of interviews and what is your favorite part of the interviews? Alex Kingsley has shared with me a bit of wisdom that they got from a teacher. I love
0: it to death. It's betraying theater every day. That's what they say over at Strong Branch Productions. Usually there comes a moment in the interview after people have kind of relaxed a little bit and are feeling more comfortable where they kind of let down their guard and let their own authentic artistic selves out. We talk about things that are sometimes personal, and I try to be very respectful of their boundaries. And I don't broadcast anything that they're uncomfortable with. But at that moment, I get to see the real person. When I start out with an interview, it's a name and a page and I listen to their audio drama. And that's really all I know about them. But then I get to find out sort of the real person and some of the experiences they've had, the conditions in which they're making their shows, which I had no ideas about, some of the stuff that's happened in their lives, both good and bad, that contributes to their artistic perspective. Something about them, which completely outside of my own
1: experiences, I learned something that day. Next up, we have a question from William J. Meyer, who's the creative force behind the transposition of Chloe Bronte. William is hoping to hear you expand upon the phrase, keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess that you end each episode with. Is there an origin to that? And also, how in your mind does storytelling help make things better? I actually threw together the first episode of in about two or three weeks. I had
0: just launched Book of Constellations. I was just getting into the audio drama community, and I was trying to think of a way to maybe give something back. I started quickly trying to come up with an outline of how I might do it, and I was working on questions, and I was lining up with the first few interviews, and then I thought, well, I really need a tagline to go out on, something memorable. And would you believe that I just kind of made that up on the spot like five minutes before I recorded? I would believe it. (laughs) We have to find new ways of looking at the world if we're going to solve our problems. Because if we just keep on living in the same world we're living in, we're always going to be stuck in the same way. Pablo Picasso had a famous quote. He says, art is the lie that shows us the truth. That we make art, we tell stories. They are not true, usually, if they're fiction. But they are true in the sense that they point us to another way of looking at things, another way of being. It is my hope that all of us out here in the indie audio drama field are plugging away, telling stories to try to change the world. And I mean that in a very real way, by injecting new perspectives and new stories and creating new ideas through our work that we can maybe, in small ways, which lead to big ways, change the minds of people who need to have their minds changed. Back in the day when we were primal, tribal people, we told stories to understand the world. The stories had power because the stories explained the world. I don't think that's any different today. We We know that the fiction is fiction, but it's the lie that tells the truth. It's the lie that points to something that could be true. And so it's
1: kind of like a little cheerleading phrase for us storytellers. Keep going, because that's the only way we're going to get out of here. Okay, our next group of questions are a bit more general in nature. So let's start with one from York Campbell, who produces the show Poetic Earthlings. York wants to know, what are your do's and don'ts when it comes to editing a fiction podcast? And by editing, let's presume, this is me talking, not uh, York now, let's maybe presume that it could apply to either sound design or writing.
0: The Poetic poet is, I really like what York is attempting to do with that show, the mix of rhythm and storytelling. When I listen to audio dramas, if there's an editing thing that stands out the most to me, it's usually pacing. And my personal opinion is too many audio dramas are paced slowly. There is gaps and space between words and sentences that does not need to be there. That doesn't mean that you don't earn pauses. Sometimes you certainly do. And sometimes dramatic pauses or silence can be very powerful. And I, I certainly use that as a tool, but I think that for ordinary everyday conversation, a lot of times it's edited too slowly that there's too much of a gap between the sentences what that happens is that as the, the story begins to build momentum, these pauses let the steam out of the engine. They slow it down. So I always try to be conscious of how the rhythm of the words is building towards a climax, not just with emotional intensity, but also in pacing as well. Understand that storytelling tends to flow in a series of rises and falls. As you go along, the tension increases. But the tension should increase then let off a little, but not all the way. And then it builds from there and then it lets off a little. And then we get to the climax toward the end where it builds to a very highest point. That should happen in an individual episode. But if you're really clever, you'll do it for the entire
1: season so that every episode is building from the previous one as well. Our next question is from Ed Bakta, who produces the comedy Inspector. Ed is curious about how you deal with writer's block, assuming, of course, you, you do get writer's block.
0: Yeah, I think everyone does. By the way, if you like puns, you have to listen to Inspector. So many puns. You know what I think is interesting is that no other profession is allowed to have a block. Like, you don't have Flummer's block. We don't have Accountant's block. Only writers are allowed to get blocked. Plumbers crack, perhaps, but not. <laughs> <Flummer's> <laughs> Very block. good. Right. What is it these other professions can do when they are not feeling it? Because that's what Writer's block is. It's just, I'm not feeling it. I don't know what to do. And what do they do is they just, they sit down and they, they work. And maybe they don't do their best work but they work. You try. And for me, I think that's ultimately what writer's block is. The way to get past it is to try. Just sit down, put yourself in the space where you do your writing, and then you write. And then maybe some of it is crap, and then you throw it away. Maybe what will happen is you'll write a little bit, and then you'll write a little bit more. And then suddenly you'll feel like writing, and you'll just keep writing because momentum has kicked in. I guess this is kind of showing I do cognitive behavioral therapy with my therapist to help me with my anxiety, and you got to learn how to trick your brain, because your brain will sabotage it if you're not careful. Finding ways to do that is the way to succeed. I think the other thing you need to do also is to recognize that some days the writing's not going to flow, and that's okay, as long as you make the good faith effort. You, know, you sit down and you try, you put some work in, you, you really do it, but then if it's crap, well, okay, well, we tried. I made the good faith effort, and tomorrow will be better,
1: uh, and try not to beat yourself up too much for it. So we just have a few questions left. The next one is a question from Chance Mulek, who produces Saturn's Return. Chance is wondering if, as a fiction podcast creator, there are any subjects or points of view you feel you shouldn't engage with, or is everything on the table when you begin a new show? Uh, that's a great question. Saturn's Return is, I really like that show, really
0: doing something different and interesting in the space. This is a question that I struggle with. I am a white male cis hetero guy. Mm -hmm. So it is really easy for me to feel like I can write anything I want, because that's the kind of permissiveness that comes with growing up in my particular circumstances. And I don't mean that in a conscious way. I don't mean that in a predatory way. It comes down to the fact that I have never had barriers of many kinds that some people who are not me have had to deal with. And so naturally there is a, an expectation that, well, since I've never had to deal with these kinds of things, that I ought to be able to do whatever I want. And that certainly I can write to any perspective that I wish. And I understand that that's dangerous. But then the question is, well, if you can only write about your own perspectives, then that doesn't make sense either. Because obviously no one has been an elf or a dwarf, but we've got Tolkien who is writing these things. Where does the difference lie? And for me, rather than saying that I write for a particular perspective, it's rather about trying to find something that I personally relate to and experientially that can be shared among different points of view. Book of Constellations has a trans character in it, but the story is not about the transness of the character so much as the fact that the trans character becomes an other in our society that has to deal with things that other people don't and it has to navigate the world in ways that that other people don't recognizing that difference is what i'm trying to highlight there i think if you write from a position of integrity and empathy then i think you can write about most anything the topic can be handled it's all about the perspective and the care with which you handle it but i think you can write about anything as long as you are aware that a lot of the times the people that are going to hear your work are going to be people who have experienced the things you've written about. And if you're not authentic with them in that particular moment, even if you don't understand it completely like they do, but if you don't make the good faith effort to try to have some level of understanding and empathy for what they've gone through, then your art will fail for them and it will not resonate and it will be false. And then you will have failed as the artist.
1: So I love this next question. Uh, it was submitted by Aaron and Katie Huggett of the podcast z One. And worth pointing out that z one has the distinction of being the subject of the very first episode of the first episode of Aaron and Katie's question for you is what do you do to relax? <laughs> Let
0: me tell you about Aaron and Katie, because they're amazing folks. They're big cheerleaders for the indie audio scene. Um, and they were one of the first cheerleaders for Book of Constellations that I came across when I started marketing the show. I actually pitched the idea of first episode of to them. What do you think? Is this a good idea? And they were like, yes, you should totally do this. So Aaron and Katie Huggett have a very special place in my heart, not only for being the first to appear on the show while I was still figuring out what the hell I was doing, but also for being stand up people in their own right. Thank you guys. What do I do to relax? You want to know something weird? Since I went into business for myself, making podcasts and writing and so forth. I think I've worked more now than I have ever in my life. Once I sort of got into that groove of getting the work done that I needed to do, it became really easy to fall into, all right, now I'm going to edit some of the show. Oh, I need to get on social media. Now I need to do this. And oh, I want to check social media again. And suddenly I'm checking in with my work every day. I recognize that that can often be a problem. So I have started to try to build in some downtime. My family has been very supportive, and I do try to take time off to be with them specifically. But in the meantime, what do I like to do? I find actually lately that composing music and learning music is very relaxing for me. I find that watching a movie or a television series, if I have time, is good as well. I try to do reading and listening to audio drama when I can.
1: All right, so we're down to our final audience submitted question. This comes from Karen Heimdall, who is the creative force behind both Cheka and Y2K. Karen sent in a bunch of good questions, including this one that I think is a great way to wrap things up. And it's the same darn question that you asked all of us in our (laughs) interviews, which is, how do you, W, Keith Timms, define success? I really enjoy talking with Karen. She and
0: I seem to have a lot of similar experiences and point of view, and I, I appreciate that you know, I don't know. Even after a year, I still don't know. I think it's a moving goalpost thing. Uh, it's like what I talked about a little bit earlier. There's this, this feeling like, okay, well, if I can get to, you know, is it 20,000 downloads or is it certain number of reviews? And, and every time you get there, it feels good. But then it's like, okay, well, what's next? I don't know the answer to the question of how I measure success because I think it changes sometimes. Sometimes I'll get a nice review from someone and that'll feel great. That'll be, make me completely happy for a few days. But then the next week I'll be sitting down and I'm like looking at the work I'm doing and I'm thinking, I got to figure out what's the next thing. What do I have to do to take it to the next level? And this is something actually that I, I actually talk a lot about in therapy because I do understand intellectually that if you set your goals on something external, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. But on the other hand, I do try to accept the good stuff that comes my way and be grateful for it. And I am. And I think the more that I keep working and exploring and making inroads and trying new things and making new projects, for me, the success will feel like I have finally become skilled in this field, that I have reached a level where I feel competent about what I do and that I'm making work that I really enjoy making. Love Talker is going to be my first collaboration in terms of an audio drama. And I'm really looking forward to that because I think we're going to make something special and it's going to open up new avenues for me. And then I want to see what's next after that. This constant exploration of the field is what keeps me excited and keeps me motivated. And I don't know what lies at the end of it, but so far I'm enjoying just figuring it out. And I guess that's a kind of success. I'm about to tell him this when headlights cut across the diner's parking lot, a car is pulling in its tires crushing the gravel and grit it's one of those featureless dark gray sedans that makes you think government when you see it. Well no, there is one feature. There is an expensive looking antenna array on the roof. The car stops, part way in, at an odd angle, blocking the exit to the main road. Maybe it was the night, but I couldn't see anything through its windows. Just a hungry black that seems to suck up whatever light happens to fall its way. And it just sits there, idling, for too long. I hear the cook mutter, what the hell, as he stares out of the window. Rayel isn't even looking, though. He speaks to me very quietly and urgently. Agents of the darkness. I cannot be found by them, Simon. Will you help me? Well, now what am I going to do? I want to thank Chris for his help in making this episode. You can find links to his show, Dirt, an audio drama, in our show notes. I also want to thank the many other audio drama creators who have been on the show, whose creativity and hustle is a source of inspiration for me. I want to thank my family for their patient support, and those who have chipped in to help me keep making content. And I also want to thank you, the audience, for listening. This show really is for you. The first episode of is going to take a season break for a bit, but we have lots of great interviews in our back catalog to tide you over. I hope you'll listen. Today's show was written by Chris Cayella and W. Keith Timms. It was produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in the show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way. But no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Raelle. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.